Good morning, Portico Church, Arlington, Jason Connell, lead pastor. You know, um, one of the things that shaped me the most in my transition from boyhood to manhood, yes, there was a day when I was a boy, uh, was of course my mom and dad, but beyond that was my uncle. Now, the thing about my uncle is he was a career soldier. So he had all kinds of stories to tell me, and I loved that. Sitting around the campfire or just sitting out in the back patio, and Uncle Bill would just, oh, man, just loved hearing his stories. But one of the things he taught me, by implication, really, through some of these stories, is the issue of gratitude. You see, Uncle Bill uh, had served three tours in Vietnam, and it's appropriate today, as it's Memorial Day, as we think about honoring those that, that serve us in this way. And on one of his tours, he was a door gunner in a Huey. So th this is not, I mean, I don't know, I've never done it. It doesn't seem like a very fun job, but I, kn I know that you're in peril all the time. So he was very good at what he did. So one morning uh, when he woke up, he was assigned a very significant mission. Uh, he was to be a door gunner for VIP transport. And that basically means you're on a helicopter and they're going to transport two officers uh, from between bases. And so that was his assignment for today. So he got in his equipment and off they went. Well, as they were coming in to land, uh, they were behind the lines, which is actually very hard to tell over there in Vietnam during that time, and they got shot down. Now, it was a violent wreck, and of the pilots, both pilots died. Um, however, both of the VIPs, the officers, survived, so they made it. So what happened after that was my uncle spent 10 days in the jungle with these two officers, and he protected them. Now, they were being pursued uh, by enemy forces. In fact, one of the officers uh, said, we're going to surrender. Um, this is, this, we're going to die out here unless we surrender. And my uncle just wouldn't let him do it. He's like, no, you can't do that because we will be killed and tortured. So for 10 days, uh, they were playing cat and mouse in the jungle, and they finally found um, some allied forces, and were all saved. So for this, uh, my uncle received a silver star. Now, he was very anti-typical war hero. He didn't like to talk about it with people that didn't know him. But that's not the real issue. So why did this affect me? Well, yeah, every kid loves to hear this and see acts of valor. But years later in his life, uh, he was just uh, living one day out, just working on his truck. And out of the blue, this car pulls up. And it was this officer, one of the officers that he saved, and his family. So four people got out of this car. It was unannounced. He didn't really know who they were. And there were two young daughters. And so they came up to him, and they said, hey, you don't know who we are. Maybe you remember me. I was in the helicopter. We crashed uh, that time, and you, you basically saved my life. And my daughters wanted to meet you because they wanted to say thank you. They, they wanted to actually thank you for saving me. So, And I heard that. It helped me understand the power of gratitude. So gratitude or thankfulness is either a lens that we live our life through or we end up grumbling. It's, it's usually one or the two, one of those things. So as I saw this, I'm like, wow, that is an incredible act of thanksgiving and gratitude that seemed so appropriate for what my uncle had done. Listen, friends, like this family that drove cross-country unannounced to thank my uncle, we are meant to live in gratitude. We are meant to be satisfied in God's provision. And one of the hardest things, if we're honest, during this season of sustained loss is to give 
thanks. We, we, we can give a lot of things. We can give our time. We can sacrifice our energy. Uh, we can give money and things. But giving thanksgiving is very, very difficult because we have sustained loss. The things that we're thankful for are slipping out of our hands. The things that we looked forward to in our future are leaving us. And so giving thanks, being grateful is very, very difficult. Hey, side note, if you are in the military, in the intelligence community, or the reams of people that serve this community, thank you for what you do. Um, knowing my uncle, even my dad, who is in the Marines, the, co- the personal cost that goes on after service is extreme and severe. Uh, and so thank you for what you do. I want you to know, uh, as we jump into our text today, as we're jumping through the Psalms, is that you're building a playlist with us. God has given us the Psalms for this purpose. We've looked at Psalm 1, what it means to be rooted in God, to actually go deep in His Word, uh, to build resilience. And last week, Pastor Nate Wagner did a great job in Psalm 130, teaching us that we have a voice of lament. Today, in Psalm 118, you need to add to your playlist this idea of gratitude and thanksgiving. And this will be the most difficult time to actually engage it and to play it and to listen to it and to sing it and to pray it and to believe it. But God has it for us. So he's going to teach us in this psalm, why is it difficult for us to live in gratitude? But more importantly, what does it look like for us to live a life of gratitude? Well, as we read this psalm, we see this, that gratitude, like a a life lived in gratitude, is lived with God's goodness in full focus. There's so much you can focus on in this life. You can focus on what you've lost. You can focus on what you hope comes back. You can focus on relationship. But the kind of gratitude that we see in Psalm 118 is this. It's gratitude that lives with God's goodness. Hear that? God's goodness in full focus, so much so that it even eclipses every good thing. It is what we live for. It is, the, it is what produces gratitude in us. So as we open this up today, there's three words I want you to focus on, and they're all personal. So here's how this psalm teaches us gratitude. First, it gives us this refrain, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. You see that all over the Bible. In fact, this psalm starts with that and ends with that. That means it's an ecclusio or a frame. In other words, everything between those two lines is teaching you and I what it means that God is good, what it means that he engages steadfast love for us that we might live in gratitude. So the three words I want you to see is first, is it's, he's our helper or my helper. That's what the text says. So what does God's goodness look like in your life that brings you to gratitude? Well, God is my helper or your helper. Secondly, it says that he's my salvation or your salvation. And lastly, he says he's my God. It becomes personal for the psalmist. He belongs to us. So I want gratitude. This, we're built for this. We are built to live our lives in this gratitude. We are built to, to have a life of gratitude that's centered on God's goodness. So would you pray with me as we dive in and understand what that means? Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Uh, we have so much to thank you for. 
Yet there's so much around us that distracts us. Hard things, real things that seem to empty us of any form of gratitude. Lord, as we look at Psalm 118 today, this is your word. Would you give us the gift of gratitude? Would you open up your word that we might behold its treasure? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So gratitude is lived with God's goodness in full focus at all times. He is your helper, he is your salvation, and he is your God. So let's walk through those together, because the beginning of the psalm teaches us that first, God is my helper or your helper. Now, just key in on the structure of this psalm. Uh, It kind of gives us some clues right off the bat. How would Israel have used this? Or how would have God's people used this ages ago? Well, this was a song of corporate praise, probably used during Passover or some of the major festivals that Israel had. Uh, Sometimes they call this psalm part of the Egyptian Hallel, or that means praise. So this would help Israel praise God for him delivering them out of Egypt, and it became kind of a refrain, or if you will, a fight song for Israel. They would sing it to remember and to celebrate the goodness of God. And right off the bat, it says some strange things. It says, let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear God say. So the idea is that this psalm frames itself around three things. One is that God is our helper. He was the helper for Israel. Secondly, the house of Aaron, that house of Aaron, that's sacrifice, that's salvation. So it's going to teach us that God is our salvation. And then all who fear God, it ends with showing us what it means that we belong to God. So it's going to walk us through that. Um, know this right off the bat. God is for you. Now, many of us have gone to college, and even if not, we have fight songs in our head. We know we have people here that have gone to the University of Virginia. I'm not going to sing the fight song because I don't understand it. It says something about wahoo, wah, and stuff, and stuff, and stuff. I've heard it several times, even at games in Charlottesville, Virginia, could never memorize it. However, I bet if you are a grad or going to University of Virginia, you know that song inside and out. What about if you go to the University of Tennessee? If you're a volunteer, well, I can tell you this. If you're in a restaurant or bar within a thousand miles of that university and Rocky Top comes on, everybody drops what they're doing and starts screaming it and singing it as loud as they can. So that is a fight song. It's celebrated confidence. Now, many times, of course, in our universities and college teams, that confidence is misplaced. It's not misplaced here. So Psalm 118, in a way, functions as a fight song to build and celebrate confidence in our lives, first and foremost, in God's goodness, what he has done, what he's doing now, and what he will do in the future. So a few of these ideas flesh out in the first part of 118. One is it says that in chapter, uh, in, in verses five through seven, it says that God is on your side. So what does that mean? It means he's for you. 
It means just like a parent will hang on a chain link fence and scream when their kids are playing soccer, probably too much. It means that God is celebrating your wins. Now, his version of wins might be different than yours, but God does want you to succeed. He wants you to do well. He wants you to learn how to trust him in ways that you can't do on your own. So he's on your side. It also says that he's your helper. Now, this is ridiculous, really, to think about the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, submitting himself to be your helper. That's because we understand that his steadfast love in this refrain means he's in covenant with you. That means his love is eternal. He doesn't wake up and then not want you one day. He is absolutely committed to you, and his commitment to you, his steadfast love, is not conditioned on your commitment to him. It builds commitment and loyalty in our lives, but it's not conditioned on that. It's called grace, and he doesn't take it away. So he is our helper. That means that his strength is at work on our behalf. Do you hear that? He is your helper. This is what it means that he is good. His strength is at work for you, for me, for his people on your behalf. But man, it doesn't look like it. I know. That's called faith. This is why you need this in your playlist. This is why you need to have a voice of gratitude even when it feels like everything is slipping out of your hands. I want to take you to verse 10 here for a minute. I want you to notice something. It goes on and says, all nations surround me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. Again, they surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Uh, Friend, we have this idea that God is going to deliver us from things. You don't see it here. You see God delivering us through things. This idea of beer, of bees and, and fire sticks that are on fire, there's an analogy here. Many times our focus is on the swarm of bees around us, and I hate bees. I can handle spider snakes, all that. In fact, I had a spider on my shirt this morning driving to work. Why? I don't know. Flicked it off. Had that been a bee or a murder hornet, I probably would have wrecked, almost have wrecked before. I don't know why I have an unnatural phobia of bees. Uh, This is common for people. So are you treating your circumstances like a swarm of bees? You focus on them, you panic, you run, versus sticks burning. Have you ever burned thorns in a fire? They make a lot of noise, they pop, they crack, they're noisy, and they go out like that. So the psalmist is saying, I cut them off. I strived in God's strength. Do you hear that? So the fact that he is your helper, this is part of his goodness, means that you are called to call on him, to strive in his strength. See, many times when things don't go our way or we're confused or we don't understand why this is happening, this confusion leads us to let go of God and to back up and to focus on the swarm. But we know that gratitude calls us to live our life in the focus of God's goodness, not the swarm of bees not the things that are circling around us. So first and foremost, God is your helper. Do you believe that? Do you call on him? That's how the psalm starts. I called on him. If you believe that God is your helper, you will call on him. But I don't like the answer. Keep calling on him. Move forward in it. Secondly, God is your salvation. 
right? Gratitude lives with God's goodness in full focus. Well, you need to understand that God is your salvation. What does that mean? Well, what is God becoming to you now? Let me just ask you that. What do you mean? What is God becoming to you now in this season of excessive, sustained loss? Here's some ideas. God is becoming irrelevant to me. I, I don't, where is he? God is absent. I don't understand what's going on. Or maybe he's becoming glorious. Maybe like, no, I've seen him in a way I've never seen him before. If you are understanding that God is your helper and you're actively striving in his strength and calling on him, if you're choosing to look through a lens of gratitude, you will find God becoming something different for you. He will become your salvation. Um, You're delivered from things by going through them. Let me just take you, this part of the psalm comes actually from another, another song. Um, where it says, uh, verse 14, where it says, the Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. What is God becoming to you? Now, no, this is right out of Exodus. This is a song that's called Moses' song. It was a song that, that apparently uh, was penned after, Egypt was del- after Israel was delivered from Egypt. Let me just take you to Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. So Israel is on the run from Pharaoh. Israel has led them out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. They're at the shore of the Red Sea. They're pinned in. Pharaoh's excellent, highly weaponized army is coming at them, and they see Pharaoh. And it says, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And they basically said to Moses, you know what? You should have just let us die in Egypt. At least we could eat well there. Moses says, fear not, stand firm. You will see the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians whom you seem today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be quiet. Friends, understand this. There will be no gratitude coming through your life if you believe that having a relationship with God through faith in Christ means God is going to deliver you out of everything. This is how God took Israel out of Egypt. He answered their prayer, delivered them through great acts of wonder, and then they're positioned between an impassable sea and an army that's going to wipe them out. Does that feel familiar? And Moses' exhortation is, be quiet. Hold tight, trust him, you're going to see his salvation. So understand first and foremost, friends, if you understand he's your salvation, he's going to deliver you through things, not from things. Do you hear that? Um, And that is hard. It's a hard lesson to learn. Now, the danger is real, but check your focus. Are your eyes lifted up to that danger or are your eyes on God? Where is your focus? He is your salvation. Jesus said the same thing when he was talking to his disciples Um, he was giving the same advice, the same exhortation in John 17. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So God, the son's praying to God, the father, but you, you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus didn't actually ask God to pull them out. He asked him to get them through. Do you see that? 
So if you've misunderstood salvation means God solves every one of my problems by taking me out of it, then you don't understand faith and you don't understand the cross and you don't understand that God's strength is designed to get you through everything. But if you never strive in God's strength, you will never experience God. If you always back away, if you always run, if you always focus on what's around you, you will not get to experience God's faith. You won't. Pain has a purpose here. This is beautiful. Did you pick that up in the psalm? In verse 17, it says, I shall not die, but I shall live. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. That's right after the psalmist has just said, I will cut them off in God's strength. Victory, victory, victory. Oh, but God has disciplined me severely. It's not a, it's not a misprint. That's why the Lord's psalm, Psalm 23 Right? The Lord is my shepherd. His rod and his staff comfort me. He delivers you, but he also disciplines you. Listen, even in victory, God is working something big and deep in your life. The only way you get to experience that, my friend, is just trusting him as Savior. Don't run. Don't run. Salvation. He's training you through pain. And then we get this uh, in verse 19. You've heard this before in other parts of the, parts of the Bible. In fact, this, this psalm is quoted everywhere. It says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it also goes on to say, in verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, that was probably initially written about David because he was rejected as king. It's fully realized in the son of David, or God the Son, Jesus, because that's quoted of him in First Peter and Acts and Ephesians. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Your salvation is what you build your life on. If you're building your life on the rejected cornerstone, that means God's way, that means the Savior, you're stable. Do you know how our cornerstone works? It's the corner of the building. If the angle isn't right, if it doesn't actually bring the walls together correctly, if it's not perfect, if it's not solid, if it's not sound, the whole structure is unstable. If you are building your life, not just calling on the Lord, but if you're not building your life on the Lord, you will have inherent instability. So building your life on the cornerstone is much what we talked about last week. Your sin is forgiven. Your life is redeemed. You now wholly belong to God through faith in Christ. That's it. That is the cornerstone. So understanding God's goodness, living a life of gratitude that keeps God's goodness in full focus means you have to understand him as Savior, building your life constantly on this cornerstone. And lastly, he's your God. This gets very personal for the psalmist. Um, there's a man by the name of William Temple. He was uh, archbishop of, uh, he was an archbishop. He was an Anglican priest in the mid-century. Uh, he was a lecturer at Oxford, very wise guy, and he said some amazing things. But one of the things I've never forgot is your religion is what you do with your solitude. Now, who has extra solitude right now? All of us. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. So what he means by that is when your mind is unencumbered, when you're not working, when you have the freedom to let your mind drift and go, where does it go? He says it will lead you to your God. 
It will lead you to whatever you believe is saving you. If in your solitude you are drawn constantly to a relationship that you don't have, or you're drawn constantly to a job that's going away, or you're drawn constantly to this money that you need to, 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 to make your life come true, or to a position, or to something that you don't have, he's going to tell you that is your God. Now, that's idolatry. Scripture teaches that. He didn't just make that up. Because where your mind goes, your body always follows behind it. Right? So what are you doing through solitude? Hey, listen, um, I shop at a Trader Joe's by my house, and one of the things that I love about Trader Joe's and hate is they put some delicious goodness right next to the checkout counter. But not just like normal things. They put things that are irresistible. For instance, they have these dark chocolate um, peanut butter cups. If you've never had them, uh, don't start because you can't stop. But every time I go, maybe in the afternoon, to get something to cook for dinner, and I'm over there, and I pick up the, I'm just like, hey, it's 99 cents. You know, I mean, I'm not going to eat them today, obviously. I'll just keep them in the house. Usually, I eat three or four of them on the way back home, and then before dinner, I finish the bag. So what happens when dinner comes? I'm not hungry. Friends, you will not experience God if you're substituting for him all these things all these other substitute saviors. You're not hungry for them. You're like, I don't know. I don't experience God. You don't need him. You're finding your salvation in other places. It's not going to last, but you're seeking on that. So you're killing your appetite for God because you're not worshiping him. You're not, he's not your helper. He's not really, you're not really building your life on him. He's not your savior. So he can't be your God. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Um, Listen, this psalm enters, ends beautifully with the people of God in the temple. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you remember uh, Jesus? They quoted this as Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, noting that he is God's Messiah, God's provision for us. And it says, we bless you from the house of the Lord. So wherever your mind goes, your body is going to follow. And this shows this. Now, we don't have a temple in fact, we can't even meet together right now. We are the church. We understand that. But do you long to be in God's presence? Do you long to be with his people in this way, praising him? Hey, and I was walking up to the office this morning. Sundays are hard, right? Because I can't be with you guys. But I heard them practicing and getting ready for worship. And it instantly lifted me. Instantly. Not just because the music's good. Not just because... No, they were worshiping my God, and they took me there. They took me there. Listen, living your life in gratitude requires, requires from you that you live your life in full focus of God's goodness. What are you living in focus of? Now, this family that came and gave thanks to my uncle, appropriately so, the salvation was done. My uncle had already paid the price and saved this person. They came to give thanks. That's us, friend. Are you enjoying God? Are you knowing him? Are you calling on him? Are you living, are you striving in his strength or running away? Well, I can't do that. What God's calling me to do is impossible. Obviously, trust in him. Walk in his strength. There's no other way through it. And you will know him no other way than by walking through whatever's in front of you in his strength.
the only way you get to experience him, friends. So experience him. This is real. This is true. Gratitude lives life with God's goodness in full focus. If you are trusting in Christ, he is your helper. Call on him. If you're trusting in Christ, he is your salvation. Build your life on him. If you're trusting in Christ, he is your God. Live for him. You are made for this. Live for him. Live for him. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, You give us not just the way, not just pointing us to what's wrong or what we should do. You are our salvation. You open up the gates that we might walk through them by your work, by your power. Lord, help us to live our lives in gratitude. Help us to understand what it means when we sing this refrain of thanksgiving in this song, Lord. Build this into us that we might enjoy you, God, and be your powerful witnesses in this age and the age to come. In the name of Jesus, amen.